Join me, would you, in your copy of God's Word, uh, again in the letter of James. Uh, if you're learning to make your way around the Bible, James is toward the back. It's in the New Testament. It's after Hebrews and before First Peter. It's a short letter. It's only about three or four pages in my Bible, probably in yours too. So uh, make your way there slowly so you don't skip over it. James chapter 3, and this morning we'll be in verses 13 through 18. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, am I doing this life thing the right way? Am I on the right track? What sort of track am I on at all in life? I have no idea what I'm doing here. Times of life are just so confused. Uh, Maybe the outcomes that you had hoped for in life are not the things that you are seeing uh, come to fruition. Maybe hopes and dreams that you had not come to pass. Just feel confused, maybe chasing things that you can't ever seem to, to get a hold of. Maybe you feel like your whole life is just a mess and falling apart. You're not even sure what you're doing or, or why things are the way that they are. Well, as James continues in chapter 3 of his letter to several churches, he addresses the way that Christians especially should approach answering these kinds of questions. What am I doing in life? Am I even moving the right direction? And he helps us to evaluate whether or not we're doing that properly, whether we're going about life in a wise way. And in so doing, he makes a case for why not just Christians, but why all people should uh, approach answering that question according to what God's word has to say. In James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we will see that Christians of genuine faith in Christ will pursue and practice the wisdom that only God can give. If you're wondering, am I doing this life thing right? Well, you can begin to answer that by seeing if you are living according to the wisdom that God gives, as we'll see here in a moment. We'll find that there are both godly and sinful kinds of wisdom by which to live. James shows us that each of these, godly kind of wisdom, worldly, uh, sinful kind of wisdom, each of these bears fruit in life. They, they show the effects of their working in us. And genuine Christians, though, will seek the wisdom that God gives, and they'll seek to live, to practice the wisdom that God gives. Today, we'll see kind of James laying the groundwork, the foundation, if you will, the sort of philosophical uh, underpinnings of what he'll get to in the passage that we'll see next week in the beginning of chapter 4. Today, he's, he's sort of showing us what is right, and then next week at the beginning of chapter 4, we'll see uh, more specifically how it is that we are to live in light of what we know is right. But today, I hope that we would come to understand that the wisdom of the world, sinful kind of wisdom, is fundamentally in contradiction to the wisdom of God. And that, in response to this knowledge, we would begin to walk in godly wisdom by faith in Jesus. This sermon I've entitled, Faith Seeks Godly Wisdom, Godly Wisdom for Living. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word this morning? James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James, carried along by the Holy Spirit, writes this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May God bless this church as we study his word. You may be seated. In these few short verses, James describes for us two kinds of wisdom, two wisdoms that we can observe in the world around us. The first is a false wisdom. There is a way of thinking and living that looks like wisdom, that looks wise, James says, but in reality is nothing of the sort. We can call it wisdom, but we only call it wisdom ironically. We put it in scare quotes. It's wisdom, so to speak. It's funny, my, my uh, youngest daughter is learning how to use the quote fingers, and she puts them around anything that she doesn't actually mean. Uh, and so this would be applied here. Uh, James speaks about a quote-unquote wisdom from the world because it's a fake sort of wisdom. Genuine wisdom, James says in verse 13, shows itself through good conduct and works of meekness. Here, James is taking us back to the discussion of faith and works uh, from chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, but especially chapter 2, verse 18, where he says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Wise men do works of faith that are executed, that are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is a Word that is also used in chapter 1, verse 21 of James's letter, when he tells the church to whom he is writing to receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save their souls. The word itself, meekness, means gentleness of attitude and behavior, in contrast to anger and hot-tempered temp- hot nature. Meekness could also be spoken of as gentleness or even humility. False wisdom, James describes is in every way different from and contrary to genuine wisdom. Rather than being evidenced by good conduct done in works of humility, false wisdom is evident, is, it, it shows its fruit by these things, by jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting. Look at verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Notice how each of these things, jealousy, Selfish ambition, boasting, have at the center of them uh, focus upon the self, right? Jealousy wants for me what I think I deserve and what I will be angry over if it is withheld from me. Selfish ambition drives me to work to attain a position, a status, a circle and scope of influence, a platform, a salary, a standard of living that I feel I deserve, It uses other people for how they can profit me and it discards and disregards those who cannot offer anything to advance the goals that I have for myself. Then boasting. Boasting calls everyone's attention to me and how great I am. It sings my own praises and it seeks to elevate me over those who have not become what I am. Jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, all centered around the self, contrary to true wisdom. These kinds of motives come from a worldview, a way of of seeing the world around us, a worldview, a wisdom of sorts, if we could call it that, that James says is earthly and, and entirely human and worldly. He says it is not from God, but this kind of false wisdom is uh, earthly, meaning of human origin or from human activity. 
So it's not a thing that comes from God, but it's a thing that, that we bring about, that we seek to exercise. He says this false wisdom, this, uh, th- this worldly kind of wisdom is unspiritual, which means it comes from our human nature, from our sinful human nature, and what is typical of our sinful human nature, not from the holiness that God is. He goes further to say that this kind of wisdom that is full of jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting, it's not only earthly, it's not only unspiritual, but he goes a step further and says that it is demonic. In the context here, James is, is not necessarily saying that this kind of worldly wisdom driven by jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting, he's not saying it comes directly from demonic influence, like we are being influenced by Satan and his demons to do these things. Although certainly this kind of wisdom is in keeping with how demons would act. Knowing who God is, knowing he is holy, wanting nothing to do with him whatsoever. Satan and demons follow a completely other uh, a way of functioning within the world. So also do people in our sinful state, in our hearts that are stained by sin, in our separation from God. We do, we have the capacity to do the very same thing, to see the world the very same way that Satan and his demons do. Friends, James is not giving too much credit to Satan and his ability to influence you. Rather, he, he is calling you to see just how dangerous your own sinful heart is as you pursue its desires in the world. There is a false kind of wisdom, a wrong way to live in the world, which ultimately results not in what we would hope for, not in wholeness, not in unity, not in prosperity, but a way of living in the world which ultimately results in chaos. Verse 16 shows us the fruits of this earthly wisdom. James says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The fruits of this quote-unquote wisdom and the consequent actions are two. First, disorder. It's a word that means to rise up in open defiance of authority with the presumed intention of overthrowing authority and acting in complete opposition to the demands of those in authority. James says this kind of living, this kind of wisdom, also brings about every vile practice. That phrase itself is uh, self-explanatory and inclusive. If there is a wicked thing in the world that can be done, it will be done by those who are driven by jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting. A picture of the fruit of an earthly wisdom, so to speak, exercised in jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting. The fruit of that, the result, is total sinful chaos. Of course, this sort of spiritual anarchy should not come to us as a surprise among a people who are looking out for the pleasure and protection of themselves. If everybody is walking about in the world only seeking to get for themselves what they can get to make themselves happy... Well, then everyone in the world will be looking to use everyone else in the world for their own personal benefit. And if everyone is doing that, then everyone is going to do whatever they think or or seems to be right in their hearts to get what they want out of life. And so, of course, we would see disorder. Of course, we would see chaos. Of course, we would see societies overthrowing their governments because they think that they can rule their own life better. Of course, we'll see families shredded at the core because everyone is fighting to get ahead within them. Of course, we would expect to see work relationships just tattered and torn and and constantly strained as everyone is trying to use everyone else to get ahead. This is what false wisdom looks like, and this is what false wisdom 
gets us. James turns in verse 17 to give a contrast to the false wisdom. What do you think he contrasts it with? True wisdom. I'm not that creative, and neither is James. He contrasts false wisdom with true wisdom. In verse 17, he says this, The wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Here he's turning to the place where he started. Right? Verse 13, he began this passage, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. And the kind of wisdom that you should be going for is that which, uh, or going after, uh, uh, exercising, is that which comes from above. And it looks like these several different things. In contrast to the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of our own sinful hearts, James teaches that true wisdom, uh, a proper worldview and functioning in the world around us is, is through a, a, a different source, not from our own sinful hearts, but as he says, from above, meaning, meaning from God. And that wisdom is characterized seven different ways. Now, the way that James writes this uh, in the original language in Greek uh, is really uh, quite pastoral. Uh, I won't try to read all the Greek words to you, but he uses a lot of alliteration. So words that begin with the same sound or, 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 or look similar on the page. He, he's doing it to, to kind of craft a, a sticky way of thinking about the wisdom that comes from above. He describes it this way. It is first pure. The wisdom that God gives, a worldview, a way of living uh, this uh, life and, and, and living in the world in which we are that comes from God is pure. It's without moral defect. It is with no stain of sin. There is nothing evil or wicked or selfish about it. Amen. Second, it is peaceable, which means it is free from anxiety and turmoil. It is, it is a, kind of wisdom that I'm also see, a kind of wisdom that also seeks to make peace in the world. It is third, gentle, which means it's gracious and forbearing. The New International Version, English translation of the New Testament, uh, translates this word as considerate. It thinks of others. It acts with compassion toward others. It is fourth, open to reason. This is interesting. This word means that wisdom that comes from above is easily persuaded. Now, by that, James does not mean that wisdom that comes from above is gullible. Right. But rather, it's willing to listen and to be persuaded by reasonable arguments. It is like he has said before, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. This word is translated in other English translations as compliant, submissive, reasonable, willing to yield to others. But I think open to reason is the best translation of, of that word. It is willing to listen to what others have to say, to take it into mind, to measure it, to weigh it against Scripture, to see what is right. Wisdom that comes from above is fifth, full of mercy and good fruits. It's full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy is compassion and kindness for those in need. Wisdom that comes from above is full of that. Good fruits pertains to what results in the, that, that what results from a godly kind of wisdom is noble and of high moral character. Wisdom that comes from above is full of good fruits, morally uh, uh, morally excellent fruit, morally excellent evidence of its existence. The wisdom that comes from above is sixth impartial, meaning literally without judgment. It bears some similarity to James's command to uh, not to show partiality between the rich and the poor, as we saw in James chapter two, verse one. 
The wisdom that comes from above being impartial does not make judgments about person's moral value or, or moral character based on outward appearances, but rather seeks to know the heart, to know the intentions, to understand where the individual is in relation with God. Finally, wisdom that comes from above is sincere. This is a word that literally means without hypocrisy. This word intends that godly wisdom wears no masks. Godly wisdom has no pretense. It is genuine. Wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. When we read this description of the wisdom that comes from above, we may have also ringing in our ears several other passages. Maybe the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or maybe you have also in your mind the Beatitudes, the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth, and uh, they shall be satisfied with righteousness. They will receive mercy, and they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for those should be called sons of God, and those who are persecuted, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The point is this. A life that is centered upon Christ, lived in relationship with God, through faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead for our justification with God, a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit because of their faith and trust in Jesus, shows just this kind of wise living. Their life is marked by purity, peacefulness, gentleness, reasonableness, impartiality, sincerity. And this is a kind of wisdom that we cannot attain on our own. If we could, James wouldn't have to say that this is wisdom that comes from above, right? This kind of wisdom that comes from above, true wisdom for living in the world, for living the life that God intends for us, is only a wisdom that God can give. And it is only a wisdom that God can give, which results not in chaos and disorder and every sort of vile practice, but it is a wisdom that results in peace and righteousness. Verse 18, James says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In contrast to the fruit of this anarchical chaos of earthly wisdom, godly wisdom, true wisdom, sows seeds, it plants seeds of peace by peacemaking people. Earthly wisdom, by contrast, this false wisdom, sows seeds of discord and strife, anger, jealousy. So when godly wisdom works itself out in time, the fruit, the harvest of that wisdom is righteousness and peace. Not chaos, not disorder, not every vile practice, but godliness. And a sense of being able to get along in, in the right sort of way with other people around us. As I said, James is laying a foundation for how we ought to see the world in order that we might live in the world rightly. 
And he lays this foundation by giving us two different kinds of wisdom. A false kind of wisdom that is driven by self and leads to discord and and evil practice, all kinds of sin. And a kind of wisdom that is focused not on self, but rather upon God. A kind of wisdom that is given by God and results not in chaos, not in strife, not in discord, not in a messed up life, but results in peace and righteousness, harmony with God and peace with men. Seeing this foundation for what it is, I'm going to point out three points of application for us this morning. Knowing what we know about James says about these two kinds of wisdom and which is the better to follow. First, this. We must root out and repent of worldly wisdom when we see its fruit in our lives. When we see jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, when we see discord in our lives and uh, all sorts of other vile practices, just constant, habitual, sinful behavior, that is worldly wisdom working itself out in us. And so when we see it, we must root it out and repent of it. Here's the truth of Scripture and the heart of our passage today. We all live according to a worldview. We all live according to a system for understanding and making our way through life. James here presents two fundamentally fundamentally different worldviews. One is inherently selfish and sinful and leads to chaos and death. The other is inherently dependent upon God, repentant of sin, and leads to peace and personal holiness. But, you may argue, I'm not a Christian. My life isn't total chaos. So who are you talking to, pastor? I'm kind to others. I give money. I I give goods. I give things to those who are in need. I follow the laws of the land. I'm a good citizen. I don't need to believe in God, in the God of the Bible to be a decent person. And I certainly don't need Jesus to make my life better. How can you say my life is chaos? That's a good question to ask. The fruit of a life without God may not always show itself immediately, but it will ultimately show. I am not saying this morning that you can... You cannot be an atheist and a decent person at the same time. Some of the kindest, most gracious people I know are people who do not follow Jesus. And yet I know that my life and theirs ultimately, dependent, uh, uh, because of what the Bible says, will end in different places. The fruit of a life apart from God may not always show immediately, but dear friend, trust, it will show. It will show most personally in your own eternal destination. You can live a generally kind and generous life without knowing Jesus. That is possible. But the end of that person, the final destination of that individual, according to Scripture, is not in the presence of God, but rather a never-ending life after this one in a place of total spiritual disorder, total spiritual chaos and torment, a place called hell. Friends, the fruit of a worldly wise life, a life that is wise according to the world, will end there in your own spiritual destruction. But that's not all. See, sin always trends downward. And you don't have to work very hard for it to do so. It, it, just, it just kind of trickles down like Reagan's economics, but way more effectively. What one generation sees as unnecessary, the next will see as unimportant. And the next will see as unintelligible, And ultimately, the last we'll see as evil. I would submit that an individual who says, I don't have to believe in God. I don't have to have this kind of godly wisdom. I don't have to live with my life in submission to God's word to be a good person. I would submit that your lack of necessity for God today 
even if you're ambivalent about God, will ultimately lead to a generation of your descendants, of your children's children, who see God as evil. Not just as unnecessary, but as evil. Right? Great-great-grandma doesn't have any need for God in her life. She gets along just fine. Right? Her child, great-grandma, sees God as unimportant. Right? My mom didn't really think it was necessary, so it's just not important for me. I'll just, I'll be fine. The next generation sees their mother not think that following God or knowing anything about God was even important, and they may see it as unintelligible. I can't believe that people three generations ago even thought God was worth thinking about. The next generation after that will come to see that very same God, that very same understanding of Jesus and the necessity of coming to him for forgiveness of sins. will see it not only as, as unimportant or unintelligible, but let me see it as evil. How can you say that I need to have a relationship with God? I'm just fine on my own. How dare you tell me what is right? Indeed, our society is growing with that sentiment even now. And it's not because, dear friends, our society is so much more evil now than it was three generations ago. But because generations ago, people began seeing God as unnecessary for life. That kind of sinful thinking, that kind of godless way of living trickles down. So if you're that person who doesn't believe Christianity is true, and you believe that human wisdom is all that we need, I would simply say and sincerely ask, how well is that sort of philosophy working to bring peace in our society today? How is that sort of philosophy working to bring peace and righteousness in our culture today? Perhaps, though, you're a Christian and you want to grow in godly wisdom. Know this, that in order to grow in the wisdom that comes from above, to have wisdom that comes from God, you must first turn your back on human wisdom. The way this happens is by evaluating your life for those places where the fruit of false wisdom is showing, where you see jealousy, where you see selfish ambition, where you find yourself or others around you, maybe in your family, in your workplace, or you're just close circles of, of relationships, where you find boasting there and discord and evil practices, sinful living. Where are you anxious? Where is there disorder and chaos in your life? And by disorder and chaos, I don't mean that there are Legos on the floor and dirty dishes in the sink and screaming kids, okay? That's just life. <laughs> by disorder and chaos, I mean areas and habits in your life marked by a trajectory of increasing tumult, a snowballing of relational strife, a dramatic loss of hope and crippling anxiety at the thought of being rejected or disliked or evaluated by others. Where are those things just all over in your life? Take those areas of your life then, Christian. Really drill down and, and look at those things in a deep, evaluative way to find where you bear responsibility for acting out of jealousy. Where have you been living according to selfish ambition? Where have you been prideful? Where have you been working out of self-preservation? Find the root of the sin in your life and then genuinely repent of it. Turn your back on it. Say to sin, I'm done with you. Say to jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, discord, and every sort of sinful practice, I'm finished. And now I'm turning to God. Determined not to return to that behavior. We must see where our lives bear the fruit of worldly wisdom and repent of it. Then second, 
We must humble ourselves and with trust in Jesus, ask God for true wisdom. First, repent of worldly wisdom. Then, ask God for the wisdom that only he can give. I think that repenting, turning from sin and turning from living according to the way of the world is the hardest part of seeking true wisdom. It is really hard to say, sin, I'm done with you. Do you know why? Because our sinful hearts really like sinning. We're really, really good at it. Have any of you had a hobby that you were just really, really good at that you knew you needed to quit, but you just couldn't because you're so good at it? That's how we are with sin. Admitting that sin is a problem, that selfishness is something that, that, is, that is working death and, and separation between us and God in our lives, just admitting that we have a problem is incredibly difficult. But look, once you realize you're a sinner who needs help from God, that your sin is not actually helping your life, but it's taking you further and further away from God, that it's bringing about uh, results in your life that you do not desire. Once you can admit that, the rest is actually not so hard. But once you've admitted that you have a problem, uh, that, that, that sin is the problem in your life, it makes humbling yourself before God so much easier. So much easier. It's a lot easier to apologize to my wife when I can finally recognize that what I did was wrong. When I recognize I was wrong, it makes apologizing easier. When I turn from my sin, when I see how bad my sin is and repent and turn to God, it makes seeking mercy from God so much easier. Because you've already admitted you don't have the answer to life's greatest problems. And now turning to God, turning to Christ just makes sense. If in your own wisdom, if in your own efforts, you've made a mess of things... It's really easy to turn away from that and say, Jesus, I need you to fix some stuff. So in humility, with humbleness, with meekness, return to your initial faith in Christ or put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Hear and believe what the scripture says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven of sin. You will be received as a child of God based on the merit of Jesus. Forgiveness of the sin of following false wisdom is available to you if you just trust in Jesus. If you have already trusted Christ for salvation, if you're already a Christian, there is Freedom to repent of false wisdom for you. None of us is immune from living according to the wisdom of the world, even if we've been following Jesus for many, many years, even decades. But because we know Christ, because our sins have been forgiven, it makes repenting of false wisdom when it rears its ugly head in our hearts all that much easier time after time after time. So, friend, be humble before God. Trust Christ's sufficiency, his total power and capability to save you from sin and ask God for new, true wisdom. Ask God to shape your worldview, to shape the way you see, the way you live in the world uh, according to how he sees things and intends for you. Ask God to give you a new heart. Ask God to change your life in every single way and he will. Remember what James has already said in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do you need true wisdom? Do you need godly wisdom? Then turn from sin and ask God for it, because he delights in making you wise. Repent of worldly wisdom. Ask God for true wisdom. And then third... 
We must walk in wisdom. We must live wisely, pursuing peace and personal holiness. What does a wise life look like in the world? A wise life in the world looks like one who pursues peace, harmony in, uh, in our relationship with God and with others, and pursues personal holiness, to be made holy as God is holy. You know, repentance is not really repentance until we've turned from sin and started walking the other direction. Repentance is not really repentance if you simply turn your back on sin. You've got to also start walking the other direction toward God. The Apostle Paul illustrates this well for us in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says that repentance for the thief is to stop stealing and start working to be generous for others. For the liar, repentance is to stop lying and start speaking the truth, to move in the other direction. For the foul-mouthed person, repentance is stopping crude talk and starting to speak in a way that builds others up and is full of grace. For the one who is bitter, for the one who is violently angry, for the one who is slanderous or a grumbler, repentance is turning from all of that to then act in kindness, with graciousness, forgiving of others in Christ as God and Christ has forgiven us. Friends, genuine faith seeks godly wisdom by repenting of worldly selfish arrogance, humbling ourselves to ask God's help through Jesus, and then living in light of our repentance and faith. There are two ways to live. There's a way that follows self and selfish ambition that leads to discord and sinful habits and death. And there's a way to live according to God's wisdom, the kind of way of thinking, the worldview that he provides that leads to life and peace and restoration of relationship with God. But we cannot live in this kind of wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, until we've turned our back on the wisdom of the world. Until we've turned our back on the way that our sinful hearts want to do life on our own, in our own authority. The call to repent of worldly wisdom is for everyone who's here this morning. It's for the person who has never trusted in Jesus, and it is the person who has been following Jesus for decades. The call to repent of worldly wisdom in all of its forms is for all of us today. So in a moment, we're going to respond to God's word by singing a song. And I would ask you to make this time of response a time of repentance. Christian, if you've been following Jesus faithfully for decades, use this time to repent of even the small places in your life where you're still trying to do life your own way, where you've not yet given total control over your worldview or your your life practices over to God. Use this time to repent. Dear friend, if you've never followed Jesus before in your life, you know you're living apart from God. You know you're living on your own terms and not according to God's wisdom. Use this time of response this morning to trust Jesus for the first time, to say to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been living life on my terms and I'm done with that. I'm now turning my back on it and I'm walking to you. I'm placing the, all of the trust and hope for this life and the one after in Jesus who died for me and rose from the dead. I receive Jesus Christ as savior and I'm committing to walk in godly wisdom the rest of my life. Friend, if that is you and you need to make that decision to trust Jesus for the first time, today is the day. Turn from worldly wisdom. Ask God for the wisdom that comes from above. And let us practice the joy of repenting as God calls us to do so. Let's pray.